Welcome everyone to the Predictably Treacherous Podcast. Today's episode is Banachek. Let's hear it for a living legend. This is episode one of season one, which is did the pilot last week. This episode was directed by Jack Schmidt and written by Del Reisman. The original air date was September 13th, 1972. Let's get right to the episode summary. A high-profile professional football player disappears on the field in front of 30,000 fans and a live TV audience. With a $2 million policy and a non-performance clause at stake, Banachek is tasked to find out who is responsible for the disappearance. The Banachek intro and the crime. So Banachek is on the couch watching a football game in some house, it's not his house. He's drinking champagne and he's smoking a cigar. He has his arms on the back of the, around the back of the couch. He's apparently visiting uh, an extremely attractive female friend in Philadelphia. And he's in her living room. So she is walking by with like um, an airline cart with food on it. And um, she's being very sexually suggestive. And at one point she says to Banachek that she used to know what impresses him. And then she kneels down on the floor in front of him and faces him. That was very, uh, you know, suggestive. So in the game, uh, the Boston team's quarterback, it's not, it's not real, it's not the NFL teams, it's just some made-up teams. I think it's like the Cougars and someone else, anyways. So in the game, the Boston quarterback takes a snap, he fakes the handoff to the dive, and he hands the ball to Ives on an end-around. The defense is ready for it, and the play is strung out to the right sideline where Ives is gang-tackled by four Philadelphia defensive players. When the pile of players gets up off the ground, Hank Ives is missing, and only his helmet remains. So the play-by-play and the color commentator notice, and we get a replay with detailed explanation, just like the newscast of the armored car robbery in the pilot episode. Let's listen to the clip. Wait a minute, where's Ives? Okay, to be fair, this is actually, um, it was a, it's a really cool opening. Uh, it's a really weird idea that a football player goes missing in the middle of a game. It's absurd and uh, it's ballsy and I liked it. Um, it's a little ridiculous when you watch it too. It's like if you just watch the replay a couple times, I think you'll be able to tell that 
the number of players that tackle them, the number of players that stands up, it doesn't really match. But anyways, it's, uh, it's, it's preposterous, and um, I enjoyed it. Okay, so let's get on to the investigation phase of the episode and the tropes that go along with that. Okay, so after the opening theme place, we're shown Jay picking up Banachek from the airport. He's no longer um, driving his uh, Packard car. I think it was Packard or something like that. Um, now Jay is driving a limo, and Jay's chauffeuring him around everywhere. So anyways, um, Jay uh, pulls out his bogus theory about the disappearance. So let's listen to it. You know, uh, I think maybe, maybe, I got the answer. Hey, that's exciting. Yeah, you see, the way I got it figured, the night before the game, they make a slit in the AstroTurf, see? Then they dig a hole. Now, during the game, they shove this guy into the hole, and they keep him buried there until after the game is over, and everybody leaves the stadium. Easy. <laughs> well, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. But you got one problem. What's that? The stadium doesn't have AstroTurf. Ah. Oh. Well, you gotta admit they could do something like that someplace else if they really wanted to, right? Any calls? Oh. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, they could do that in grass too, right? Anyways, okay, so... <clears throat> so now Banachek is in uh, the office of the owner, okay? He, uh, his secretary is uh, extremely attractive, of course. So a guy's there who knows Banachek... And he's some kind of an advisor for Boston Casualty, an insurance company. He was in a Columbo episode, actually, uh, Requiem for a Falling Star, season two. We'll get there pretty soon. He informs us that Boston Casualty is not going to pay the million-dollar life insurance policy on Ives or on a non-performance clause. And he makes it clear that his company believes it's just a publicity stunt. So I forgot to mention, uh, right after Jay's bogus theory, um, the owner of the football team actually called Banachek because, you know, they're, they're, they're buddies. And um, obviously, Banachek's a big wig, and uh, he pals around with owners of NFL franchises. Um, and the NFL franchise owner, he knows exactly who to call if there's a big uh, insurance fiasco that needs sorting out. So Jerry calls Banachek into his office. Jerry's the owner of the football team. He's uh, this charismatic guy. This is Jerry before Jerry Jones existed. So anyways, he tells him that it's not a publicity stunt and he's not trying to commit insurance fraud. And Banachek suggests that Ives, the guy who was missing, he cooked it up himself. And Jerry thinks that that's not Ives' style and that Ives had some recent threats on his life and it's possible that he was kidnapped. So they, um, they leave the office, and Ives' ex-wife is in the office dodging questions from reporters. And she's, she's ridiculous looking. She's very attractive as well. So next, uh, he speaks with, um, Manchek speaks with the Philadelphia Cougars players who gang-tackled Ives. So there were four, four defensive linemen who all gang-tackled Ives on the play when he went missing. A big guy with a gruff voice tells Banachek that no one liked Ives and he was arrogant. Two of the guys leave for a team meeting and Joe Fabian, uh, a player, he's, uh, he's actually played by ex-NFL player Deacon Jones. Okay, He stays behind to soak his foot. And Banachek seems to think that Fabian knows something that he's not telling Banachek about. Incidentally, uh, Deacon Jones coined the term sack 
for a quarterback sack. Um, and it, it doesn't mean sack like you know, kick the guy in the testicles. It means sacked uh, in the way that you would sack a medieval city, that you would go in there and burn it to the ground, that kind of sacking. The ladies' man. So now Banachek is at home with Ives's ex, of course, and she's watching a taped interview. They're both watching a taped interview that Hank Ives gave on a talk show when he came to Boston. So Ives is really stiff. It's a talk show like, um, like David Letterman or something. Ives is really stiff on it, seems really like cranky. And Mrs. Ives says she told him not to do it. And Banachek asks her about their relationship. And she tells him that Hank couldn't handle any type of relationship. That's also why she thought Hank couldn't be conspiring because he wouldn't be able to work with anyone to perform a stunt like this. And Banachek asks her to have dinner with him, of course, and she accepts. So now Banachek is at the Boston Stadium speaking with some of the players. A halfback named Clayton tells Banachek that Hank was intolerable to be around uh, since he lost his good luck charm, which is his dog tags. So later that day, Ives' ex confirms that they meant a lot to Hank. I guess they weren't his dog tags. They were his father's dog tags. The backstory is that his father, from World War II, his dog tags. His father died when he was three years old, so it was kind of the only thing he has from his father. So the, the Polish proverb. So now in the television studio, Banachek and an engineer are reviewing the film of the game. They see a shot of the sideline, and Ives is in it, and he's talking with the quarterback, Mulligan. So Banachek asks the engineer if he can blow up the shot. The engineer asks why, and he gives him the Polish proverb, Are you ready? There's an old Polish proverb that says, If you're not sure that it's potato borscht, there could be orphans working in the mines. Are you sure you got that straight? It means what you don't know could hurt you a lot. Right. Come on, I'll show you how we're going to get that ball. Now, you could have just said what you don't know could hurt you. Okay, so now Banachek speaks with Clay and confirms that Ives lost his dog tags sometime after the Cleveland game. So the owner tells Banachek that he and Ives went out for dinner after the game and a girl approached Ives, but Jerry left at that point. So now Banachek is in the restaurant where Ives was having dinner. Um, he talks with the slimy bartender. The bartender says the woman's name was Holly Allen Camp, and she came in several nights in a row. She was waiting for Ives. Banachek makes a call and he leaves. So now we see Banachek in another bar and he asks the bartender for Holly and he points to her table. So Banachek sits with her. She's super flirty. She won't answer any of Banachek's questions. She seems like a hustler. Banachek gets tough with her. He grabs her hand aggressively and tells her he's working on the Ives case and he wants answers. He asks her if she took Hank's dog tags, and she did. Who did she give them to? He offers her $200 for the name. Albert Bates is what she comes up with. She warns him that Bates is a tough character and he used to be in the army. Felix Mulholland. So now it's time for a visit with Felix Mulholland for some wisdom. Felix gives Banachek the army records of Albert Bates. And Banachek asks for Jerry's dossier as well. And then he leaves. 
So now at home, he and a woman are watching the clip of Mulligan speaking with Ives. She is a lip reader, and she's also extremely attractive. She confirms that Mulligan said, a blonde over there, and tags. She flirts with Banachek, and then she leaves. So now Banachek speaks with Mulligan again. And Mulligan remembers that some guy told him during the game that there was a blonde waiting for Ives in the tunnel, and she had his dog tags. Then Jay uh, brings Banachek the army records that he requested from Felix. He seems to have found something. He phones an answering service, and the lovely operator takes a message. Get here right away. Condition bright red. And the name he leaves is Al Bates. The Get. So now outside at night, we see Mulligan running to a yellow car and peel out. Banachek tells Jay to follow him in his limo, and Banachek gets into his Packard and uh, follows. Mulligan pulls up to a home in the Burbs. Sorry, it's not really a home. It's it's actually, later on we find out it's an army base. Uh, they say an abandoned army base. So Mulligan gets out and enters the army base. It's like a barracks. So Banachek and Jay pull up behind, and Banachek tells Jay to wait on the street for the cops to arrive. So Banachek approaches the barracks, and a man with a rifle behind him tells him to freeze. So they go in the house together. So inside is Bates, Mulligan, Ives, tied up and blindfolded, and the man with the gun. So moments later, the cops arrive outside, and Bates says they will use Banachek and Ives as hostages, and for Mulligan to cut Ives' ropes. He does, and Banachek says... It's fourth and long yardage. What play would you call? And Ives kicks up his legs, uh, knocking Mulligan back. Then Banachek grabs the rifle from Bates, and the cops bust in. The cops take Mulligan, the other guy, and Bates away and leave Banachek and Ives. So they don't stay on the scene and find evidence or question Banachek or Ives at all. They just they just leave. So Banachek and Ives, they just, okay. Banachek unties Ives, takes off his blindfold, and then they leave together. Okay. So the big reveal. So now on the football field, of course, Banachek is explaining to some players, reporters, and episode stakeholders exactly what happened. Let's listen to the clip, and I'll recap it afterwards. It is a long one. Mulligan's on the sidelines. It's about five minutes to halftime, and the other team has the ball. But the Cougars hadn't been able to sustain any kind of drive at all, and Mulligan knows his offensive team will be going in in a matter of minutes. So he walks over to where Hank's standing, by himself, as usual, and he says there's this blonde back in the tunnel who says she's got his dog tags. They stole him about three weeks ago to have the right bait. They knew those tags would be the one thing in the world to get him off the field during the game. They were sure right, weren't they? But instead of a blonde, back in the tunnel were two other guys. Al Bates and a man named Walt Hicks, a slightly over-the-hill pro playing in a Canadian league. Of course, as soon as Hank moved into the tunnel, he knew something was wrong, but it was too late. Bates had an army car with General Stars on it. He told the stadium guards that he was there to pick up General So-and-so. So at halftime, they let him park his army car wherever he wanted. And where he wanted was right near the mouth of that tunnel. And Ives left the stadium the same way Hicks had arrived. Then they took him to the deserted army post that Bates had broken into. 
Meanwhile, Hicks had come back out of the tunnel. So you're saying that Walt Hicks became Hank Ives? The same general size and build. He put on a helmet with a face mask. Let him wear Hank's number. Why would anybody think it wasn't Hank? Also, Hicks had studied Hank's moves. Well, who hasn't? Every high school kid in the country is trying to copy your style. Well, somebody must have seen it wasn't Hank. Who? He didn't come out of that tunnel till the offensive team took to the field. In the huddle, everyone's looking at the quarterback, Mulligan. He saw to that. And on the first play, he sends Hicks out wide on a flanker, so no one's near him at all. Anyhow, on the next play, he calls the reverse, cues his actor, and they pull the disappearing act. Well, how'd I disappear? I mean, you know, the other me. Give me a hand, will you, Clay? Now remember, Hicks was hit by four guys dressed in white with blue trim. They really buried Wolinski, Mangene, Fabian, and Fellows. All guys who got one, maybe two years left as a pro. All guys who could use a couple extra thousand for what they thought was a great publicity stunt. Then, in the middle of the pileup, custom breakaway. Stick this under a jersey. And all you got left, turn around, Clay, is a helmet and a football. You mean Hicks stood up, pretended to be one of his own tacklers, and then started looking for himself? That's it. But why didn't the picture show that four guys hit him and five men got off the pile? Because right then, Mulligan pulled his limping routine, his famous glass knee, and all the eyes in the house, including the television and movie cameras, were watching Mulligan's play acting. The tackle was staged to happen on the Cougar sidelines. So during Mulligan's diversion, the last guy in the pileup peeled off and pretended he was one of the cougars who'd gotten away of the action. In a sense, the greatest play Richie Mulligan ever called. And the gun sounds, it's halftime, and Hicks gets lost in the crowd. Okay, long clip. Um, so let's recap. Five minutes before halftime, Mulligan tells Ives that a woman is waiting for him in the tunnel with his dog tags, which he loves and he misses and he wants back. So Ives leaves the field via the tunnel but instead of a woman in there it's Bates and he's waiting with an army car and Walt Hicks is there and he's uh the player who looks like Ives so they hit Ives and then they they knock him out they put him in the trunk uh Bates drives him to the abandoned army barracks and then Hicks runs out of the tunnel and onto the field pretending to be Ives Mulligan calls the end around play Ives, but it's actually Hicks, is tackled by the four players who are near the end of their careers and need money. And they've been told it's a publicity stunt, so they don't think that there's life or death at stake. They just think it's just some kind of joke or something. So the jersey is a tearaway jersey, and underneath is the other team's uniform. So they tear away the jersey, and then when the uh, mulligan limps, so the camera will go to him, and eyes on the stadium apparently will go to him. And then the extra guy with the white jersey just stands up and kind of exits the field onto the white team bench. So no one really notices. All they notice is that Ives appears to be missing. Um, and they don't notice the extra player because he just kind of scuttles over to the bench. Okay. 
Uh, so later on, when Fabian found out that it wasn't a publicity stunt, he was going to tell. He was going to like uh, go to the cops and say what happened. So that's why they killed him. So one thing that I didn't go over in the episode is that uh, um, Deacon Jones, his character, gets um, gets killed. He calls Banachek. He's in a panic. And he's like, uh, well, you got to come meet me. But before Banachek could meet him, he was killed. It was a hit and run. So they're saying like, like they... Uh, they took care of him when he was gonna he was gonna squawk. All right, so the explanation as described obviously it seems highly improbable to say the least, but um but I love this episode. I, I like the idea that they, they took something just totally preposterous. Cause look, this isn't uh this isn't a true to life story. I mean, this is a seventies detective show. I I like that they took a just a ridiculous notion like a football player disappearing on a football field and turn that into an episode. I thought it was great. And um, you got to suspend your disbelief. I mean, obviously there's going to be some huge holes in the stories, but it was good. I like that they went with it. It was ballsy. It was silly and preposterous, just like a good 70s detective show should be. So, um, of course, after Banachek tells his, uh, gives the big reveal, he drops the mic and he walks off the field and he leaves via the tunnel and there she is in the tunnel. It's Mrs. Ives, and she's waiting for him, and she can't resist him. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. So next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, we'll continue with Season 1, Episode 2 of Banachek, Project Phoenix. Banachek investigates the theft of an expensive concept car, from the train that was transporting it. Tune in next week.